Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down and chat with a man named Scott Welly. And Scott is a uh, sports psychologist. He does public speaking. He kind of, he just helps, he helps people perform at their highest level. Um, he's an author. He wrote a book called Outperform the Norm, amongst some other uh, best-selling books, which you can all find everything at his website, scottwelly.com. So it's scottwelly.com. I was going to spell it out for you, but it's w- <laughs> it's like you spell well and then you add an E. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he has a whole bunch of books about running, um, kind of selling products, triathlon, all sorts of all sorts of fun stuff. So you can check it out. His main kind of f- focus book with most of his philosophies is in outperform the norm. Uh, if there's anybody who at this point needs to sit down and talk with a sports psychologist, it's this guy. It's me. Um, I'm about a month out from the stage race, and as I was talking to Scott, I was in the midst of my biggest mileage week ever and it's i'm gonna say it's not gonna sound like crazy miles for some of you crazy folks out there but uh i put in um about 90 miles last week and you know what the weirdest thing happened is my legs feel amazing this week like no soreness uh they feel strong and fit and uh ready to go so i feel good on that sense and now i'm just trying to do the heat uh, the heat portion of the training, which uh, today consisted of um, walking downtown Denver in like 85 degree heat with uh, like 100 seventh graders. So, so definitely got some miles in there, got some heat in, which was cool. Got a nice little suntan going. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but when I was when I sat down with Scott to record this episode. Um, I think anybody who's a month out from whatever their goal is, if it's a goal race or a goal event or just, you know, you're getting close to to performing at a level you want to perform at and you're a month away, I think that's it's the hardest time. It really is. Um I always hear that the last the last 10% of a project takes 90% of the effort and it's it's so true. So, it was so awesome. I'm so grateful that I started this podcast um because well for many reasons but the you know on an individual level it's it helps me perform at my highest level because a lot of what Scott talks about um I can apply in my own life and we had a great conversation and he's just seriously like one of the best uh one of the best speakers um kind of out motivators he's a really good motivator um and I hope you really enjoy enjoy the show. Uh, like I said, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Check out his website, scottwelly.com. Uh, you can go to his books and kind of check everything out, everything he's written. Um, and like I said, you can also check out Outperform the Norm. And if you're like, if you are like a corporate person and uh, I would highly suggest hiring him to speak for your company. That's how I heard about him. One of my neighbors was like, dude, you gotta... My neighbor Matt was like, you got to talk to this guy. He came in and spoke to my company and, you know, everyone left, left the, left his uh, talk, like ready to take on the world. And, 
And that's how I felt after leaving uh, leaving Scott's girlfriend's place after we chatted. Uh, I felt I was ready to take on the world and I still am. It bled through for that really tough week in my training. So I'm really, really happy um, and just cannot express my gratitude for that. And really, honestly, what I'm hoping with this with this show in particular, I hope you leave the podcast today uh, with this newfound energy and ready to uh, kick ass in your own way. So anyways, uh, yeah, check out. Check out all of Scott's stuff. Check out all of our stuff. If this is your first episode. We've done a bunch of these. Go back. I guarantee you, you're going to find some episodes you like. Uh, we got a whole diverse group of people that we've talked to. Um, so, yeah. I And talking to a sports psychologist, I was super pumped because I'm really into figuring out mindset and figuring out strategies and tricks to kind of push through those those challenging moments so so yeah go back check out all of our episodes you can find us at like a bigfoot everywhere and anywhere um but yeah you can go to itunes too that's where most people find it i think uh so subscribe on there all right let's get into it this is number 95 of the podcast uh with sports psychologist and all-around good guy scott welly I want to welcome Scott Welly to the podcast uh, once again. Just discussing how people mispronounce names, which I've done. I've done a few times on the podcast. I'm ashamed to say. So, so yeah, man, welcome to the show. Uh, Scott's a sports psychologist and a public speaker, and my neighbor actually um, came home from one of your public speaking events. He's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta like try to contact this guy. He was awesome. So, <laughs> well, thanks a lot for having me on. I yeah. appreciate it. I'm yeah, excited man. to be here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have a bunch of, you know, I'm interested in sports psychology as an athlete and, you know, as someone who really likes to like kind of dig into the mindset mm -hmm. of things, but how did you get interested in that? Boy, well, I mean, it depends how far back we actually want to track it. Go um, back to my, day one. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can go all the way back to day one, but uh, my undergraduate was from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in psychology. And I've just always been interested in the mind in some level. And then I was kind of getting to my junior and senior year at Wisconsin, and I just really looked at it and said, okay, what am I going to do with a psychology degree? Like, where can I even go with that? Yeah. And there's really not a lot you can do. So I thought about, okay, what am I really interested in? Well, I'm interested in the mind. I'm interested in psychology. And I'm really interested in sports. And it kind of was the perfect time where I feel like some of the stigma was being removed a little bit. Because it used to be like, okay, if you're interested in sports psychology and mental training, like something must be wrong with you. You know, like what the heck? I mean, like, yeah. you know, you got some like deep-seated deficiency or something. And it was kind of coming to the forefront where sports psychology was seen as now more of a performance enhancement thing yeah. that can help us all instead of curing some underlying deficiency. So after my undergrad, I just decided I was going to go on. I was going to yeah. get a master's degree in that. And I was going to start working with athletes on what it takes to be able to perform at their highest level. Yeah. So you're saying that before people kind of had this like 
they didn't want to bring sports psychologists in because it was almost like we're admitting something's wrong. I think people were hesitant to do it. Okay. And I don't think it was as much of a mainstream thing. Like, if you look at anybody, I mean, the time that we're recording this, NBA playoffs are going on, yeah. you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs and everything else. Like, you look at any high-level athlete now, they're going to be working with a sports psychologist. Yeah. And it's just because they realize that a huge component of their success in that sport is mental and if they're not thinking about some of the different mental factors that go into performing at their best you're kind of you know you're not going to reach your fullest potential yeah well especially with like professional athletes mm -hmm. i mean the difference between you know an nfl lineman on one team and an nfl lineman on the other teams there's not much of a difference mm -hmm. and if you can get that like slight edge mm -hmm. from of sports psychologist, I mean, that's huge. Exactly. And I don't even think that it necessarily has to be a professional yeah. level athlete, like with the stuff that you obviously do and what I do. And just for people, you know, your neighbor that heard me speak at yeah. that conference, it's for all of us, you know, the mental game of life yeah. and being able to master that. I mean, we're always our own biggest kind of obstacle and getting yeah. in our own way and in a lot of different ways. And I think if we can win the game inside of our heads um, in business and in athletics and in life, yeah. man, we're light years ahead of a lot of other people that can't. Definitely. What ha like when people are getting in their own way, mm -hmm. does just the realization of their behaviors that are causing them to do that is the realization itself is that, kind of like the most powerful tool or are there other things they can do? Well, you would use realization. Um, I would call it self-awareness. Self-awareness. And, okay. and I oftentimes will say, and I think I said it in the, the conference that your neighbor was at, I think the greatest skill any of us can have is self-awareness. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily look at the progression of all of psychology and sports psychology is based around the fact that thoughts affect feelings, which affect behaviors. So if you look at kind of the end of that, if we're talking about any actions or any behaviors or, or something something that you're looking to do or manifest in your life, well, and, and if you're not doing it or not doing it to the best of your ability, you actually have to backtrack that to the physiological emotions and the feelings going on throughout your body. Mm -hmm. And then what precedes that are your thoughts and what's going through your head. And if you're not kind of in tune with what am I legitimately saying to myself every single day while well, you're going to really struggle to take those actions and those behaviors that you need to achieve peak performance. Yeah. And we, we can find ourselves, it's so easy just to distract ourselves from mm -hmm. the moment we wake up mm -hmm. to the moment we go to bed and mm -hmm. I've done it. I've mm -hmm. we all admitted have. We, all, we all have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's that we seriously all have. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like self-awareness is actually really difficult for most people to achieve. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes, I mean, it's uncomfortable at mm -hmm. times where you're like, if there's a deficiency in your life and some sort of behavior or thoughts, like, you don't necessarily, it's not a fun thing to explore it, mm -hmm. you yeah. know? So what kind of, do you have any strategies for people to, I don't know, become more self-aware? Uh, well, there are a few different things that you can do. And uh, it, it kind of depends, um, let's see how, how <laughs> How much? I'll, I'll give you a couple of different ones. So, okay. So I started out playing golf. Like uh -huh. go, golf was my first love. So when I got into sports psychology, the first population that I really started working with were golfers. 
And just a simple drill that we would have them do is uh, I would have them go out and play a nine or an 18 hole round and they would fill one, one of their pockets, like their right hand pocket with golf tees. Okay. All right? And then every time they had a negative thought, every time they hit a shot that pissed them off or the weather wasn't what they wanted <laughs> or the wind was blowing in the wrong direction or they were just angry about whatever, they would have to take a tee from their right hand pocket and move it to their left hand pocket. Yeah. And without a doubt, by the time they would get done with every single round, all of the tees uh-huh. would be moved from the right hand pocket to the left hand pocket and it's just a self-awareness exercise that when you have a thought that is is negative and is negative and is not serving you you have to find some way to be able to kind of recognize that so yeah. that's one way another way if that's you, awesome um, that's an awesome way because i'm just instantly flashing back to all the times i've gone golfing with some mm-hmm. of my friends and they've like Slam their club on <laughs> yeah. the uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, what do you think we are? Like professional golfers? Like we suck at golf. Yeah. Just accept it. Like, get it get it together, man. <laughs> Come on. And and another way, if uh, if you want to be a little bit more hardcore, I guess, and inflict some pain on yourself is to seriously just take a rubber band, yeah. put it around your wrist, right, right where my Apple Watch would be right now. And every time you have a negative thought, you take that rubber band, you pull it back, and you smack it. yourself. And by the end of the day, you're going to have huge welts on your wrist. But I tell you what, you're going to start to think more positively because you're going to start to attribute, <laughs> like, when I think negatively, yeah. I get pain inflicted yeah. you know, or something that's not a positive result and it's you know that's a little bit too hardcore for some <laughs> people but again it's kind of how do you make yourself self-aware yeah man that makes sense because yeah just being able to just understand like oh my brain is getting into this mode of yeah. like negative emotion negative thoughts yeah um just and- understanding it might be able to help you out of it, I guess. And, and and I think the other thing I would say as well is, you know, I've I've tried meditation sometimes. Yeah. I've never really gotten to a point where where I felt like I've been good at it. But yeah. there are a lot of people. And if you look at, I think high achieving people in business and life and athletics, there's more and more science that's coming out on the power of meditation and why it actually works because it alters the brain waves in your head. And I think certain things like that where you're actually just forced to kind of sit with your own thoughts and to recognize when they come in and to kind of gradually take them out, I think it'd be a tremendous exercise for a lot of people because you brought up distraction before. We all know what it's like to wake up and you're basically shot out of a cannon and like your day is just, I mean, you're you're running around like a, a chicken with its head cut off and you're just doing so many different things throughout the entire course of the day where you barely even have time to reflect on what's happening and what's going on with your own thoughts that if you can actually kind of slow things down for any period of time and recognize that you're gonna be a lot better off definitely i've had moments where i've done i've like gone into meditation for like 60 days or whatever Mm -hmm. and i do it for 15 minutes every morning for 60 days and you start you do start noticing a difference yeah but it's like the first 40 days you're just sitting there you're like what am i doing like (laughs) yeah this is crazy and then Uh, one day all of a sudden you sit down you close your eyes and then your little alarm goes off and you're like, whoa, that was 15 minutes. That yeah. seemed like it just flew by. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it is beneficial, but the problem is it's 
it's another thing to make time for. I I know it, yeah. uh, but then it's looking at okay, what I think if you look at any person that achieves peak performance again, yeah. just as a term, or is really successful in whatever it is that they do, they're able to identify the things that really matter. So if yeah. you look at that, and if you're like. Okay, well, meditation is something I have to do if I want to perform at best. Yeah. Sort of like for people that don't do crazy stuff like us. It's just the performance-enhancing benefit of exercise. Yeah. Like just getting out there. And I mean, there's no other pill or anything that people can do that are going to replicate all of the benefits you get from exercise. But yet you're going to cut that out because you tell me you don't have time for it. Yeah. When in actuality, it's a thing that's going to make you more focused, is going to help your self-esteem, is you know going to just make you better in every single area of your life. Yeah. So it's actually something to include. You know, it will relieve stress when yeah. times are really tough in your totally. life, and yeah. it'll actually like almost not really create more time because that's impossible but well, <laughs> it'll make it seem like because if you have more energy mm -hmm. you're going to have more time because you know you're gonna be able to maybe wake up earlier or like when you lay down i always kind of joke where i'm like i don't understand insomnia mm -hmm. and i know I, if you have insomnia like i get it it's an actual affliction but i'm like by the time i lay down in bed i'm so exhausted from my day just from being active and doing mm -hmm. everything I had to do that I just go right to sleep, mm -hmm. you know? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know that I would say that I have insomnia, but yeah. I'm very envious of you because I don't sleep very well. I just, really? I never have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm convinced that, and I've done some research on it. There's a genetic component to it okay. because my entire family has been night owls. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, yeah. <laughs> between probably 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., like my neurons are firing big time and yeah. I can actually get a lot done. But then all of a sudden, if you're going to bed at 2 in the morning, you're trying to get up and do something at 6 a.m. It's hard. It's, it's hard. It's and almost you just, impossible. You can't really do it. So yeah. I feel like sometimes I'm trying to, fight a little bit of what's kind of my natural tendency but i mean i've tried a lot of different things i've yeah. tried you know changing the color of uh the, the light screens, of, yeah. on my screen with blue light and yeah. whatnot i've tried supplementing with melatonin yeah. and some different things that way and it's helped but still yeah. I, i'm my girlfriend is just like you where she just, she, just she, yeah she hits the pillow and she's out within five <laughs> minutes drives me nuts but it's just it's that's the truth man yeah I'm maybe like, maybe that just goes yeah. to show like i don't have like my brain is just empty. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to listen. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my brain is always pretty just, empty. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess my point being was like, if you are exercising and you're healthy, you actually, you know, I guess my point was like, if you lay down, you're just generally, you're not rolling around necessarily. But yeah. I know that's not necessarily the case for well, everybody. Well, but, but it will absolutely help. And I think yeah. you brought up, um, it actually creates more time in a way I think that it kind of does. Yeah. Because I, I talk, especially to like business leaders, so much about productivity. Mm -hmm. Because you look at it, you know, productivity defined as rate of output per units of input. Yeah. And the units of input are always the same. There are time and there are energy. And those things are, are pretty finite things. We're never going to get more time. We're never necessarily going to get more energy. Yeah. But we can think about how we're going to invest those things to be able to get more out of it. So if you look at some of the benefits in ex of exercise in terms of focus and concentration and you know feeling good and different things, yeah. I do actually think in a strange way you can kind of 
not create more time, but yeah. you can certainly get more output and get more productivity for what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you started with golf, uh, golf because I have to imagine for sports psychology, golf is the one that's most interesting mm-hmm. because there has to be so much going on in someone's head. It's more of like a peaceful, like calm, like mm-hmm. you, I guess your adrenaline's going, but not because you're like sprinting around and avoiding yeah getting hit by people and yeah. things. Yeah. But uh, I do know if someone has something that they're concerned about and they're mm-hmm. not necessarily really present in the moment, it's going to mess up their swing. Yeah. So what happens when golfers like mess up and now the game is in their head where they're yeah. thinking to themselves like, Oh man, like I'm blowing it or mm-hmm. whatever. Like what happens then? Well, I, I think you got a couple of different things going on with golf. And I was talking to somebody about this today. I mean, what I think makes golf the most challenging sport mentally is if you look at it, let's just say you and I are going to go play 18 holes. Yeah. And that round is going to take us maybe four hours. We will spend less than two minutes actually swinging the club. <sighs> The rest of the time is all spent. You're thinking about thinking. you're thinking about the shot before, the yeah. shot that's coming up, or or something that's totally unrelated. Yeah. We would call task irrelevant cues in in sports psychology. But you're thinking about something that's totally unrelated to playing golf. So it's a huge mental thing. So you not only have that going on, but you also have kind of maybe what you alluded to before where it's not an act and react sport you know where it's um it's not like a basketball or a football or hockey or something where you can take some of the brain out of it because you're constantly in motion you know when you go up there and and you're getting ready to hit a ball you're basically starting from a static position yeah so i mean i think as as far as something you can do like with golf it's um you know i always as kind of simplistic as it sounds i was always just told when i was growing up take it one shot at a time yeah you know when i speak to business leaders i say the greatest present you give someone is your presence like being present and being focused and actually being in the moment uh, is a huge thing and if you can create some type of routine or some type of trigger whether it's something you say in your head or it's a very specific kind of pre-shot routine that you do exactly the same way every time that acts as a reset and basically puts you right here right now where you're not thinking about what might happen in the future and you're yeah. not thinking about what just happened in the past. If you can do that, it's going to help you just take it as one shot at a time and not kind of let mistakes compound. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. What kind of, uh, I mean, routine in golf makes total sense. And then you talked about the NBA playoffs. You see them at free throws mm-hmm. doing the same routine. Yeah. yeah. What, what other, uh, things can act as like a reset button? Um, well, uh, let me just bring up a somewhat unrelated one because I was talking to somebody about this as well. Is I think of tennis. You know, yeah. if, um, if you're a tennis fan, let's just say that we're watching Wimbledon or watching the U.S. Open or something. What you will see a lot of tennis players do is after they're done with a point, they will go back and I don't know if they, they you call them ball, ball boys or ball girls yeah. or whatever, the people that stand behind yeah, the yeah, baselines yeah. that hold the towels. But they'll go back there and, and, and they'll grab a towel, you know, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams, they'll grab a towel and they'll wipe off their forehead. Yeah. 
And people that don't really know sports psychology and things like that will look at it and they'll be like, well, they're just wiping off their sweat because they're sweaty. Well, Federer's wearing a headband, dude. <laughs> like, I mean, you yeah. think he really needs to wipe off his sweat? That's not why he's doing it. Yeah. What they're basically doing is for a lot of them, it's a cue in their head where they're taking the towel and they're wiping their forehead uh, and they're wiping away the last point. Okay. And that's what they're saying to themselves. So yeah. good or bad. They're wiping it away, and then when they go and they take the baseline to get ready for the next point, they start fresh. It's okay. the one shot. It's the one point at a time, and they're able to kind of have that reset. So it can look a lot of different ways in yeah. a lot of different sports, but you know, when I work with athletes, that's what you're trying to create is what is going to be a good trigger for you that's just going to allow you to start fresh. Yeah, like a every, reminder with, of... With everything that you do. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I talked to... Uh, one of the kids I coached when he was a tiny freshman in Iowa, uh, he's uh, tied in for the 49ers now. Oh. And it's hilarious that you brought that up because he talked about that. He talked about having a string of like three weeks of bad practices mm -hmm. at University of Iowa yeah. and asking for some advice. And someone just told him to write an R right mm -hmm. on his wristband and mm -hmm. he could touch it after every play, good or bad. And it's it's... It's interesting because, you know, you think like, yeah, that's super important in bad plays, but it's also important in good plays because it's mm -hmm. going to calm you down because you could make the best play of your life. Yeah. And then the next play, make the very worst yeah. play of your life. Yeah. And yeah, yeah and it doesn't really, the only th play that really matters is the one that you're in at that moment. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Absolute truth. What about, so you do Iron Man, mm -hmm. Iron Men's, Iron Man's. Uh, I don't even know how you'd say that. I guess yeah. you say Iron Man triathlons. <laughs> there you uh, go. That would work. And you've, yeah. have you, you ran a one 100 miler or have you ran I multiple? Did. No, no, God, no, <laughs> yeah. no. I did one and um, I, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to say never again, yeah. but uh, if I was a betting man, I'd say probably I won't do another one. Yeah. So, so. my question is for endurance racing. Mm -hmm. how would you use that idea of a reset button? Because in my 50 miler, after I talked to George and he told me about that, I just remember like mile 31, I'd be like, oh man, I'm starting to feel bad. But I'm like, all that matters is right now. And I'd do the reset button, touch yeah. my wrist. And it helped for like five minutes. Yeah. And then I tried again, yeah. it helped for three minutes. And then eventually it was like every 20 seconds. I'm like, man, I just feel terrible right now. But, yeah. you know, yeah. so how do you, how do you, do that in a endurance sport. Well, I think endurance sports are a little bit different yeah. uh, than some of the other things that we're talking about because you know if you look at the role of of the brain and the body in endurance performance, I think it's one of the most fascinating things out there because they've they've actually identified uh, you know I've seen some different studies but they've identified a specific region of the brain that fatigues when we do endurance sports. You know, it's called the anterior cingulate cortex. It's ACC. Um, but basically, and the way that they know that is like, as we're sitting here right now, I could go and I could give you a complex set of math problems yeah. that are going to pre-fatigue that region of the brain and then have you go do an all-out run test uh -huh. and you'll do a certain time. And then I could have you go and I could have you repeat that without having done the math problems beforehand and you're going to perform better 
when you haven't pre-fatigued this region of the brain. I always knew math was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Well, it doesn't matter if you're good at math. It just speaks to a specific region of the brain. That makes Okay, that's Um, interesting. But, but, I mean, and the thing about it is, so let's just take, like, a marathon because a lot of your people, I mean, just a lot of people in general are familiar with a marathon. And they're familiar with what is known as the wall in the marathon. And who knows what the heck the wall even is? Like, does it, I mean... Does it happen at 20 or 21 or 22 or or what is it? But they've never identified any specific set of physical or physiological characteristics that make you stop when you are doing an endurance race. They've never identified a blood lactate level, uh, uh, you know, muscular trauma or fatigue or anything going on in the body, um, an oxygen deficit. Like there's no saying if you get to these physiological markers, I guarantee you're going to have to slow down. They've never identified anything like that. Yeah. So a, a lot of the research is actually based around, I know the, the article that I put out on my website and I've sent to some of my clients, it's titled, You Are All Quitters. <laughs> you know, And it kind of sounds like it's like, well, that's kind of a slap in the face. But we all are. I mean, if you've ever gotten to a point in an endurance race where you've either quit or you've slowed down, you've started walking, that is actually a voluntary choice. And a lot of times we will attribute that to, well, you know what? I just bonked. Like I just hit the wall. I just ran out of fuel. Sometimes that can happen. I mean, where, where that's a contributing factor. But ultimately what happens in the brain is you just tell yourself that you just don't want to suffer like this anymore. Yeah. Like you don't want to go through it again. So to kind of come back to what you were saying before, I mean, one of the things I used in the 100 miler, I've used in Ironmans, I've used in marathons is, you know, and I think you kind of were were talking about it, but I always say create checkpoints or kind of chunk it down. It doesn't matter what it is. Like you have to be able to play games kind of with your own mind where when you're really struggling with different things, I mean, one, you know that. You're going to have high points. You're going to have low points. I don't care if it's a hundred, if it's yeah. a one mile race or a hundred mile race, you're going to have sometimes where you feel good. You're going to have sometimes where you don't feel so good. So it's knowing that whether you feel good or whether you feel bad, it will pass yeah. at some point you will feel better. But also if you're going through some of those bad points, just think about getting to the next mile marker or getting to the next tree or the sign or the post or whatever it happens to be like chunk that out and then once you get there once you get to that checkpoint then you create another one and then you try and get there and you make it smaller and more manageable because when you're going through those tough areas the finish line can feel 100 (laughs) miles away at all times it really can so you have to be able to play kind of the the mind games to be able to convince yourself that it's not as daunting and not as far away as it seems in your head yeah i always think like little a little rewards along the way yep. is kind of a, a way to power through that as well. Yep. Even so what, what would you mean by that? So like um, rewards. So, you know, sometimes like, especially I'm in the middle of training. This is my big training week for my event this summer and it's hard to get up for it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of miles just mm-hmm. for me. It's I'm doing a stage race. So it's a lot yeah. of like slow miles, time on feet kind of yeah. things. And so kind of things like I never drink pop or you call it pop in Minnesota, right? I know. I think I actually, well, well, (laughs) we go both ways. I don't know. I mean, I stopped drinking it like 15 years ago, unless I'm in a race. So exactly. That's um, the point. So I never drink, I never really drink it, but, uh, you know, if I'm doing my long run in training, 
Mm-hmm. I will save it either for the ending or like partway through and I'll yeah. have a Coca-Cola or something. I'll be mm-hmm. like, this is amazing. You yeah. know, but it's, yeah. it's because I've don't, you know, if you had it every single day, it wouldn't be amazing at all. Yeah. You know? Um, and then same, the kind of ideas we were talking about beer earlier, mm-hmm. I'm saving a beer at my house for the end of this week, the training week <laughs> yeah. where I'm like, Oh, that's, it's such a dumb motivation, but it's, it's motivation in those tough moments. I, I don't think it's dumb at all. Yeah. I think you have to create some type of reward system for yeah. what, for whatever you're trying to do. I mean, that's a question that I ask people all the time. It's like, okay, if you get to wherever it is that you're looking to get to, what, yeah. whatever it happens to be, whether you run a successful podcast or you complete a hard training week, yeah. Or you, get a promotion at work or finish a project or whatever it is. Well, what are you going to do to reward yourself? Exactly. And if you can't answer that with, it can be something as simple as a beer or ice cream or yeah. soda or, or you buy yourself a new pair of shoes or whatever it is, yeah. but create something. So you have a carrot out there that's pulling you exactly. towards what you want to happen. Yeah. Cause you know, we all wish we could just be like, no, I go with intrinsic rewards 24 <laughs> seven. Cause I'm like the coolest guy in the world, but that's not true. You know, uh, one of my friends said when he finishes his just like normal five mile run around the neighborhood, he'll just throw his hands up in the air like Rocky. And he's like, that's my reward. Like I did it. You know, that's my celebration. Uh-huh. Um, for me in a ultra race, if I, this is so weird, but if I pee and it's, I'm hydrated, I'm like checking. I'm like, Oh, it's clear. I'm like, I give myself a pat on the back. I'm like, dude, you're doing good so far. Keep it up. <laughs> as stupid as that is. That's, that's not stupid at all. Hydra- what? And, hydration is key. Yeah. And then, you know, people just in, uh, when you get to an aid station, high-fiving people, like yeah. feeding off other people's energy, high-fiving other racers in endurance mm-hmm. races. Like, I think attitude has so much to do with success in it. Yeah, I, I've coached a lot of endurance athletes, and I'm actually a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is going and actually smiling, thanking, yeah. high-fiving volunteers, yeah. people in the crowd, like interact because there's that – I don't know how like woo woo you want to get with it, but there is that transfer of positive energy between you and them that you need in really hard races. And sometimes you'll see people that you don't see it as much in trail stuff because I'm just convinced that people out there are a lot cooler than Iron Man. I mean, (laughs) Iron Man people are way too much like I need to qualify for Kona or, you know, I just, (laughs) I'm going to put my head down. I'm only worried about my gels and goos and, you know, get out of my way. (laughs) But they're, they're so sometimes fixated on what they're doing and hitting their splits and their times that they ignore kind of the positive vibe and the energy of the race. I think to their detriment. That is kind of the perception of, I've never ran, I did a half Ironman, but I did it by myself mm-hmm. on a day I had off. Okay. I got a day off. I'm like, you know what? Let's try this thing out. Well done. I had, I had been <laughs> swimming at the time to train, but anyways. Well, you finished first. I least, totally, right? I finished <laughs> and last. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, like there is that, I always have heard that perception and I've always been curious to actually go to an event and see if that's the case. And then I wonder if it's because, you know, if you're running in, if you're racing in an Ironman, you have a lot more to worry about because you're worried about your equipment, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your transitions, things like that. Yeah. Do you think that plays a role? I I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot more going on and there's certain, I mean, the nice thing about like you and I, let's say we're going to go out and do a trail run or a trail race. Like there isn't, 
don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah. But it's not like if we're on the bike, we have to worry about blowing a spoke or blowing a yeah. tires or something mechanically can exactly. happen. Like there's something outside of yourself. And to a point, that can sometimes happen on the swim as well. So yeah. you've got these outside factors that can really affect you versus, you know, what I'm putting on my trail running shoes and really it's me against me. Yeah. And I can kind of determine my own fate. So I do agree. There are some different things that kind of go into it as well. But I mean, I, I also think it's a smaller of, community for trail running too. Yeah. And that's actually what I appreciate about yeah. it. I think, uh, Iron Man, I still like it. I might, I, I haven't done one in a few years. I'm sure I'll go back to it at some point. I think it's gotten a little bit commercialized just with, with Iron Man in general. And then it, people are, are kind of like, well, I need to have the best bike and I need yeah. to have the best wetsuit. And I need yeah. to have, you know, these carbon bottle cages that, that weigh 10 grams less <laughs> than my other ones. But wait a minute, you're five pounds heavy. Like, yeah. there's, why don't you worry about like losing the five pounds rather than paying a hundred bucks to save 10 grams? Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense, but I mean, it's neither here nor there. They're both good in their own way. Is, does just, Iron Man, are they an actual brand now? Yeah. Okay, because I see people company. walking around with like Iron Man hats and shirts and stuff. They, I, I mean, they have Iron Man everything now. Okay. I can, you get Iron Man jewelry. You want to get your wife something sweet, man. You get her <laughs> Iron Man diamond ring or get her some <laughs> Iron Man forks and knives and spoons and bowls and beach towels. I don't Whoa, even know what else I didn't they know have, that. but they've got Iron Man everything. That's yeah, crazy. and that and that's really what I mean. Yeah. That that is what I appreciate so much about you know, just the trail running in general is it's just people that seem to really have a passion yeah. for the sport and are putting things on. It's not just like this, this money machine and different things. And, and there are tremendous stories in Iron Man too. So I don't want this to seem like I'm yeah. bashing Iron Man in general. It's just different than it's... trail running and the vibe. And I think the types of people that you meet yeah. certainly when you're doing it. Yeah. So when you were running your, well, first let's, I guess we can kind of get into your hundred miler. So where was, what was it? Where was it at? It's the Kettle Moraine 100 okay. Southeastern Wisconsin. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you get that Wisconsin. Ex I keep wanting, I had a guy on here a couple of weeks ago who organizes one in Iowa and I'm like, Ooh, that would be fun to do an ultra marathon in yeah. the Midwest. It, it was manageable. I mean, yeah. it's nothing like Leadville out here or yeah. anything else. I think it had maybe eight or 10,000 feet of gain or something like that. So, uh, I mean, relatively speaking to some other hundred milers, it wasn't, you know, again, wasn't Leadville, wasn't yeah. hard rock or anything like that. So as far as running a hundred miles goes, like it was, it's, I, it's I thought still it was 100 miles though. It is still 100 miles. And trust me, I, I felt every, every bit of the hundred. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I read an article that you wrote today or a blog post today and, uh, you were talking about, the moment where you wanted to quit mm -hmm. and what powered you through it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I just, I had a couple of people down there, uh, Missy and Diane that were my crew, yeah. I guess. And honestly, uh, my worst miles in that race were miles, basically 40 to, I would say about a hundred K okay. 40 to 60 or 65. Like those were really, really bad miles for me. And there were a couple of things. I wasn't feeling good physically. Um, uh, 
I wasn't prepared for the level of isolation I was yeah. going to have during the race. I kind of naively thought I'd never done an ultra marathon before. And I'm just a guy that I'd never done it. I never completed a triathlon when I did my first Ironman. Of course. So I'm fine with like, I'm just doing big goals. And I don't care if there are people that tell me I have to do multiple 50 miles to, like to step do a 100 miler. Yeah. I'm just going to take my shot. So I didn't really know what to expect, but I just really thought there were going to be more people around, like running around me that I mm -hmm. could draw some energy from. And I just wasn't getting any of it. Yeah. So not only was I not feeling that great, but then there weren't people around and I was, my, my back was kind of a little bit jacked up, which happens sometimes when I run and, and I was just not in a good place. And I got to the 100K point, which if you look at the, the Kettle Moraine 100 miler, the way that it works is you run 31 and a half miles out okay. and then you basically turn around <laughs> and you run 31 and a half miles back on the yeah. same trail. And you're right back at the start line where your car is and where everything is, is at a hundred K. Yeah. And this is the point where a lot of people will drop out. And honestly, I, I was really thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I've already done a hundred K. I'm like, at my car. I'm at my car. Yeah. Like that's good enough. I feel like shit. I'm like, yeah. I just, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. And then that's where they were basically like, no, you're going back out there and, 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 I dropped a couple of, of, of choice four-letter <laughs> words that I'm going to try and keep this as a wholesome podcast and not tell you <laughs> what I actually said. But I'm like, no, honestly, I'm good. Like, I'd fallen down a couple of times because my back was a little jacked. And I was just feeling so bad. And like, no, you have to get back out there because you're never going to forgive us if we don't make you go back out. Yeah. And I was sort of like, oh. Okay, fine. So they got me to, to get back up off the picnic bench. It was only a second time I'd sat down all day and it was the last time I would sit down. And then interestingly enough, once I got back going again, and this kind of speaks to what we were talking about before, you're going to go through highs and lows and peaks and valleys yeah. in anything you do in life. And my best miles of the race were 65 to 85. Yeah. Like I just hammered those miles and felt great. But I was kind of too, I don't know, new or, or naive to necessarily know that, you know what, you're not just going to continue to feel like garbage for yeah. the entire rest of the race. Because, I mean, part of the reason that I wanted to stop is, you know, it's not like you got a little 5K left or something. Like you got 38 <laughs> freaking miles. Yeah. So yeah. I was yeah, yeah. like, that's a long time, <laughs> you know. And, and if I'm going to continue to feel as bad as I felt for the last 20 miles for these last 38. Yeah man, that seems tough. So kudos to them. I, I don't think I'd be sitting here as a hundred mile finisher if they wouldn't have pushed me to go back out yeah. there. Yeah. When you had moments of isolation, what was going through your head at the time? I mean, especially not expecting it. Mm -hmm. uh, get to the next aid station. Yeah. There were aid stations about every three to five miles. So yeah. honestly, I was just thinking about get to the next aid station. Um, you know, they ended up, they met me at an aid station that I think it was at maybe 40 or 45 or okay. something. And I was just dying to see someone that I knew at that point. Yeah. So part of the motivation was just get to that point, see them. And then it was get to the next aid station, get to the next aid station. I didn't know when I was going to be seeing them again, but I knew I would see them at a hundred K. Yeah. But there was just the part of it, like just get to the next spot, like just keep going. And I, and, one of the things that, again, I only sat down twice all day. One of them was to try and stretch my back out. And the other oh, one yeah. was at 100K. Thinking where you I, were going to quit. <laughs> where I thought I was going to quit. Those were the only two times that I sat down. And I saw people sitting down and laying down and doing all kinds of different stuff there. And I just said, I don't care how 
slow your running or slow your walking or whatever it happens to be move forward yeah like move forward because that finish line isn't going to get any closer if you're not moving yeah so that was one of the things i tried to do yeah one to draw back to earlier i think that's part of trail running that like people don't get as uptight about splits because mm-hmm. the terrain's so different. So yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going uphill now. I'm going to be way slower. If you worried <laughs> yeah. about splits, like you're kind of actually doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. For that. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I yeah. Mean, you just have to, you have to really take it as it comes. And that's, I think that's enjoyable too is, you know, because you see that a lot again. And let's take marathons and stuff. Everyone yeah. will be out there with their, their Garmin or whatever their training computer the, is. The and start, they'll, yeah, the they'll, shot of the gun. And yeah, then exactly. All they're just, I mean, they're, yeah. they're spending more time. And this kind of talks, speaks to, you know, getting the vibe from the crowd as well. Is like, if you're so fixated on what you're doing for every single mile, and that's fine too. If you're trying to qualify for Boston, yeah. New York or wherever. You almost need to do that. that in those yeah, that's okay. But it's a very different type of deal where it's like, I'm just trying to, you know, tick off these splits versus... <laughs> yeah man, I just, I got to make it to the top of this mountain. And then I know I got to descend this thing and I got to hopefully not fall down on single track. And, and it's just a different world. Yeah. How do Um, you, so when you were training for that or an Ironman or any, just whatever big goal you have, even golfing, how do you prevent burnout? Like, cause you know, I'm in, I'm in the midst. I said the hardest training week for this event and I'm kind of like, I'm not burned out, but I can definitely tell like, oh yeah, this is. Mm-hmm. harder mentally almost than physically at this you, point. you need to unplug and find something intrinsically enjoyable yeah and what's intrinsically enjoyable for you might be completely different than me i, I love watching sports like yeah. I'm, I'm just a huge I, I mean i not only you know do sports psychology but yeah i just love watching sports and i actually get a certain amount of energy from that so when i'm watching you know nba playoffs tonight like i won't be thinking about the next run or bike or swim or speech that i have it is something that allows me to completely unplug and get engrossed in something else gotcha everybody has that it can be you're watching sports you go and see a movie or you go to a concert or you're playing with your kids or whatever it is but I think a key to, at least mentally speaking, I mean, we can go into physically, how do you recover from burnout um, and different recovery strategies. But mentally speaking, you just have to have something that allows you to detach yeah. and withdraw, <clears throat> excuse me, withdraw from what you're doing. Yeah. That's why I think if, if when someone completes whatever they've been working towards, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, you almost need to take like a month off. Yeah of just just to give your mind a break not only your body like that's important Mm -hmm. i think it's just important to give your mind a break well you know and i guess uh, something i was thinking about today because there's all this technology now Mm -hmm. and so i have i haven't even i've never checked it until like this last week but the little heart thing on an iphone Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. the fitness tracker yeah yeah and so i looked at it today Mm -hmm. and i was like Oh my God, I've walked one mile today and that's it. And then you have that guilt. Step, step it up, Even man. though I yeah. told myself when I woke up this morning, I was like, you know what? Today you're going to have like, you're going to take a day off of just worrying about it for mm. the week. And then the mm-hmm. rest of the week, you're just going to like dominate it. Yeah. But yeah. that's a, it's a problem though. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what is the problem? I guess you being sedentary or what? No, the what problem is like, you just... If it's on your mind, like you know about it, like yeah, it, you you could almost feel guilty. 
mm-hmm. if you're not. And I, it's funny because I even told myself, like, this is a rest day. Mm-hmm. But yet I looked at that and part of me was like, dude, maybe you should have done something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you got to trust your training. Yeah. You know, you got to know that there are hard days, easy days, recovery days. And the recovery days are what allow you to be able to go hard on the hard days yeah. and do the other things. And I think the mental part of it is, is again, is just so key. Like, I think back when you're talking about this, I, I think back to when I first got into Ironman. Uh, I did Ironman three years in a row, which if you're... I always say there's there's a difference between completing a race, running a race, and racing a race. Yeah, definitely. And how far I call it, how 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 deep you have to go into the well. And yeah. the well is basically <laughs> it's basically your mental energy. Yeah. Like when I did the hundred miler again, first time I'd ever done it, took fourteenth place, which I thought was Whoa, awesome. That's did, awesome. You know, man. did twenty one hours and six minutes, which I thought was a fantastic result because I'm sure my girlfriend will listen to this. She didn't think I was going to break 24 hours. <laughs> so take that, Joanna, <laughs> when you listen to this. But, but yeah, so to have that result, but I had to dig deep. Yeah. And afterwards, I was just destroyed. I mean, destroyed mentally and destroyed physically. Yeah. And I think back to, you know, when I was doing those Ironmans, like I was racing them and I was trying to qualify for Kona and, and yeah. I, I got through the first couple okay. And then this, the last one, it, it had nothing to do with physical, but I barely got through the training. I was struggling to get motivated. Um, I, and I got to the race and honestly, I just wasn't even there. Like uh, yeah. the gun went off, we started the swim and I was like, I, I don't really want to be here. And, and mentally I was just burnt from yeah. three years in a row, basically of, hard training for the same race yeah you know so i think you have to you have to find a way to be able to get kind of peel back and unplug i like that advice is just unplug but just almost like unplugging your mind from thinking about it yeah it's the biggest thing because otherwise because otherwise that's always kind of if it's if Mm -hmm. You know, that can be the death of us too, is like, if we're just kind of whatever we're doing, if there's still that little bit where it's like, well, I'm still kind of thinking about it. Yeah. Still kind of thinking about the easy day I had today. Should I have really been doing that? No, you actually need to to find something that, that you can get so engrossed in it that you are no longer thinking about whatever it is that's causing you the stress or the mental strain. Yeah. And this speaks to athletics or business or anything else. If you don't have that, like when I speak to business leaders, you know what? If the only time that you can really unplug is the two vacations you take every year, you're dead, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're just not literally dead, but like but you're going still. to, but, but you're going to struggle because yeah. eventually your productivity is going to go down. You're not going to be as intrinsically motivated. You're just not going to be as engaged or, or joyful in what you're doing. Yeah. I think the thing that's weird for athletes is when, when the thing that was what their unplug, you know, mm-hmm. like if biking was your thing that you used to unplug, mm-hmm. But now you are finding like, oh, I have to unplug from biking. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's mm-hmm. like, it's just a weird thing that can happen to yeah. to athletes. Yeah. Um, well, it, it is. Yeah. And I think we can go at this kind of a couple of different ways. It, depending on what type of race you're doing and what you're looking at, I talk so much about outcomes. And if you look at anything that's ever really where you felt stress and you felt pressure in your life, I can guarantee it's because 
it's attached to some type of outcome yeah. or some type of result. Like, I wonder if I'm going to be able to finish this stage race yeah. or this hundred miler, or I wonder if I'm going to get through this thing at work. Yeah. Like you're thinking about some result or some outcome. So you have to actually peel that back. And if you're looking at it and you're like, well, you know what, I'm getting ready for this biking race, but I'm kind of stressed about hitting a time or finishing the race. But that used to be the way that I would <laughs> unplug. I mean, it's, I mean, a couple of things. One, you have to peel that back to kind of what I would call the process and just invest yourself in the daily training. Stop worrying so much about the result and yep. just control the controllables and control what what is within your control, your attitude, your preparation, your effort, your things like that. But then also just find something that is going to not allow you to think about whatever result or outcome is, yeah. is stressing you out. Yeah, definitely. So you, you mentioned being like, just a fan of sports in general. Mm -hmm. And I am too. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. And really one of the reasons I've had a lot of runners on lately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I like to explore like all aspects of sports though. Yeah. I've, the runners lately is because I've been selfishly trying to give advice, <laughs> but you know, nice. like nice. just, just do you have any specific sports moment or story or athlete that you really that has really inspired you michael jordan michael jordan mm -hmm. what i grew up in the heyday of michael jordan yeah, so yeah. um i was i was a kid that had you know jordan posters taped um, taped all over my bedroom yeah i still have his his book i can't accept not trying <laughs> next to my bed in minnesota it's just a short book on how to how to lead people how to um not look at failure as failure how to look at it as feedback and I was just such a big Jordan fan. Yeah. That, yeah. What about him? Like what specifically? I know his story is just incredible, mm -hmm. you know, and of course being one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, obviously the dude is phenomenally gifted to be able to do that. You yeah. Know, there's um, one in one in a billion can, can do what he did, but yeah. Um, I, I would say what inspired me most about him was truly just how he looked at, I mean, it is the book. I can't accept not trying and how he didn't ever look at, I always tell people there is no failure. There is only feedback. Yeah. And I think back to, if, if you know Jordan's story, like there are a couple of different ones, but he won three championships in a row mm -hmm. and then he retired for a couple of years, came back and won three more and then retired and came back with the wizards but but in the gap in between when he won his his two three peats he went and he played baseball yeah, like i remember that and i mean can you think about somebody trying to do that now like you are the greatest player yeah. in the world i mean at your given sport and you're going to give that up in your prime and go do something where there isn't a person on planet earth that thinks you have a shot in hell at succeeding. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to go do that. Yeah. In a sport where, you know, if you can fail less than six or seven times out of every 10, meaning that if you can bat 300 or better, you're going to be in the hall of fame. Yeah. So like you're failing all the time, you're striking <laughs> out and you're getting out and everything else. And, and it's a hard sport to learn something that he hadn't done basically his entire life because he'd been playing basketball. Yeah. So I just think to, it's something that I tell myself. I think I said to you before, you know, it should be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Yeah. Like just the fact that regardless of what position you're in, you're going to put yourself out there and you're just going to try Yeah. because you know what? I can't accept not trying. And if you don't give it your all at something, 
how are you going to ever know? And, yeah. and why are you going to let other people tell you that you can't do something? So I respected him as much for doing that and giving a shot at baseball as anything he did on the basketball That's court. That's awesome, man. I saw on your website, uh, you, you put a quote that says courage weighs ounces and regrets weigh tons. Wait, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, that totally applies. That, that's a Jim Rohn quote. Yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes. It's that's the truth. Awesome, man. Yeah. What, uh, so to kind of wrap up, um, if people are listening to this and obviously you've given them a billion take homes. So I hope so. Re-listen to I mean, it. This is my, yeah. me being like, <laughs> you should re-listen to it and just take notes. Cause I think yeah. I'll be doing that. Um, do you, is there anything that you would, would want to share or more advice that we just didn't get to, but you think would be like really important for people to take home? Mm, no, I, th- I think we've hit on most of the major things. Yeah. I mean, I think the question that I get asked most often is like running a hundred miles. You know, I don't talk about it a ton in my speeches, but like your neighbor probably gave you my name because I mentioned a couple of things in yeah. regards to running 100 miles. And and when they ask me how I did it, I think they're always thinking there's like some special <laughs> secret sauce or yeah. something or like some magic formula to it. And I think what I would tell people that are listening to this is when I come back to kind of the checkpoints thing that I said before, I think it's so key for anything that we do in life where it does not matter whether it's business, athletics, or just something in general in life, where if the finish line seems really, really far away, you have to be able to chunk that down and just think about how can I get to the next spot? You know, being in sports psychology and mental training, I've done a lot of research and and I'm always fascinated by Navy SEALs. I think they're just fascinating people, how they condition the mind and how they condition the body. And, you know, some people have probably heard of the hell week that yeah. SEALs have to go through, right? Where they just basically try to break you down mentally and physically. And then if you survive it, yeah. then you're more or less a Navy SEAL. Well, okay, you got seven days of that. Let's just say that you're sitting around in the morning on day two. And you're like, how in the hell am I ever going to make it a week? Like, I already haven't slept. I'm hungry. I'm going through all this stuff. I'm cold. I'm tired. I'm doing all these different things. Well, they're not thinking about, I need to get to the end of the week. They're thinking about, how can I get to lunch? Yeah. Like, and if I get to lunch, then how can I get to dinner? How can I get to this next checkpoint? And I think if you can do that, it's honest to God, a strategy I've used in anything in my life, whether it's running a race, writing a book, giving a speech, growing a business, doing whatever, like create checkpoints for whatever that that daunting or that big goal or that thing that you want to accomplish. And if you can do that, man, you're going to, you're going to own it. You're going to own whatever you're doing because you're always going to be moving forward. You're always going to be making progress. That'll build your confidence. That'll motivate you. And you're going to be just astounded by the amount you get done. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a superpower. I heard someone describe it. Um, you, you know, if you're looking at a goal, you would love, it would be nice to jump from step A to step Z. It would be nice. <laughs> it would be really nice. But you got to go through B you through do. X mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't yeah. know if I did the ABCs right. Yeah. But. <laughs> but yeah, man. Close enough. Well, yeah, sweet. You know. Where where can people find more information about you or, you know, kind of like share some information about your books? Because I definitely want to check them out. Yeah. Uh, just go to scottwelly.com. Okay. So that's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. Uh, that's my website. And that's kind of the hub that would link 
link to all the other things that I do, whether yeah. it's books, online products and programs, different things like that. Um, definitely check me out on social as well. Yeah. I'm basically Scott Welly at, um, at everything, whether everything. it's Facebook, yeah. Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can find me that way. Yeah, sweet, man. What, what's, uh, what's kind of, I know you have like your quote unquote main book. <laughs> outperform you, the norm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Outperform yeah. the norm. Yeah. 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 Okay. And where can people find that? Uh, I mean, all of my books are on Amazon okay. or they can just link to it off my website. Sweet. Um, uh, you can also go to outperformthenorm.com. I mean, okay. again, scottwelly.com is kind of the hub for everything. Yeah. Outperform the norm is just a specific training that I do with business leaders and high level athletes. So if you want to, you can obviously check that out as well. Cool. And um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, it was a yeah. pleasure. Thanks for having ah, me over, man. Yeah. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I had a good I, time. Yeah. See ya. All right that'll be a wrap on the show this week uh thank you guys for joining us for episode 95 of the podcast um scott once again thank you so much for coming on thank you for all of your amazing advice and uh just your positivity dude it was sweet um and i I wish you the best of luck for anything and everything you're pursuing in the future Uh, i know you got some big events you're you're gonna work towards this summer so good luck and all that all that craziness (laughs) um yeah, and if you guys tuned in, this is your first episode. Thank you guys for listening. If this is your 95th episode, thank you for supporting the show. Um, it's been it's been a cool experience. Uh, we're approaching number 100, which is crazy. I was talking to my buddy Calvin, uh, who's been on the show a couple times, and he was like, dude, you realize once you get to 100, you've had like a hundred over 100 hours of recorded conversation. And I was like, whoa. Uh, I haven't really even taken time to process the fact that I'm approaching 100. So maybe I need to do that because literally my only thought was that's crazy. <laughs> that's, it just seems so surreal. Um, but it's all about, you know, putting in the work on the little steps, do little steps. One, you know, be consistent with them. Keep pushing forward. Uh, for me, it was putting out a podcast every single week for a year that was the first goal and now we're well beyond that so uh yeah you just got to keep striving of course you know i'm sure there are a few episodes i'm like oh man i wish i would have changed this and this and this and this and this but at the end of the day you just need to you need to do it and you need to ship it you just need to put it out there um so so yeah if you're working on some sort of creative endeavor, just understand at times, especially starting off, nothing's going to be perfect. This, this podcast by no means is a perfect podcast, you know, as I listen to some other ones and I'm like, every once in a while you get podcast envy and you're like, Oh man, what a great question. Or, Oh, instead of saying sweet, man, he says interesting, which I, I, I can't do. It's just not me. Uh, I was thinking that. I'm like, dude, should I just pause every so often and say, interesting? Because um, that would sound way smarter than when I'm like, oh, that's sweet, dude. Or awesome, man. <laughs> uh, and I decided against it because it wouldn't have been me. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyways, I guess point being here is when you start off, nothing's going to be perfect. Nothing's even going to be perfect 95 episodes in. You know what I mean? Um, but you just got to go for it and you got to ship it. Once you ship it and you put it out there, uh, that's a big step. And it's going to affect people. You might not even think. You might. There's been episodes where I'm like, oh, I didn't 
you know, in my mind, I'm like, I didn't think that would actually affect someone. And I get an email and someone's like, that episode was awesome. I'm super inspired now. Um, like I was, it, I don't know. It just, it takes you off guard, which ones really change people's lives. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the coolest thing about this podcast is if when people have emailed me and be like, dude, I'm super inspired to chase after some goal now. Um, thank you for interviewing blah, 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 whoever, someone, you know, who had some sweet advice <laughs> and yeah, man, that's the, honestly the coolest thing that that has come from the podcast is just, you know, I set a goal and I set a intention to spread goodness. That's what I want to do because, you know, you go online um, and you can find a lot of negativity and a lot of stressful information, things like that. But why not? Why not be a goodness spreader? You know, why not try to affect people um, positively? So uh hope, hope I've done that. Um, I'm going to keep trying <laughs> if I haven't. Uh yeah, so I just got, I'm entering summer um, since I'm a middle school teacher and summer's coming up. Tomorrow's my last day of school and I'm so excited for a couple of reasons. First of all, we have like a super awesome family vacation planned through Southern Colorado, which is going to rock. Um, but also for the podcast, I, I'm hoping this kind of opens some doors and allows me to to chat with some really cool people, especially now that I'm going to have a much more flexible schedule, um, for the next few months. Uh, and then also I'm planning on some sweet hikes in the next few, uh, next few weeks actually before the desert rats. Um, I'm just going to try to get time on my feet, um, uh, put in hours and miles hiking on the trails. Mostly I think running wise, I'm good. I'll probably run a little bit every day. Um, especially at the start of these hikes, but after that, it's just hiking, putting in the long hours of being outside, seeing some beautiful places, exploring some awesome, awesome stuff out here in Colorado. So, so yeah, hope you guys are setting some big summer goals and I'm hoping you're, you're getting after them. All right. We'll get back at you next week. See ya.